everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Talk sheet. Recorded live.
go in prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, glory be to your name. Praise you, Lord Father. We praise and worship you. Thank you, Father, for your ever presence. Thank you that you're not a God millions of miles away, but that you're right here, that you're ever present with us, that you will not leave us nor forsake us if we do not leave and forsake you. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Father, for the brothers and sisters around the world that have decided to join in together to hear your word, to hear the truth, to be even more delivered from our traditional doctrines that we were taught by the false churches and the false preachers. We ask you, Father, that you protect us from false doctrine and not allow us to enter into any more false doctrines. Take our minds and our hearts from those deceptions, lies of the enemy. But give us more of your spirit, more true understanding of the scriptures and of your spirit. Please fill us up, Father. Pour more of yourself into us that we can understand the scriptures so that we can understand your will and live for you cleaner and more acceptable to you. For you are our creator, our Lord, our King, and our God, and we want to please you We want to walk holy for you. And we want to understand the truth and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done in us in Jesus' name. That we may become the bride of Christ, saints of God, the army of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Hello, Pastor AJ in South Korea. Hello, Brother Jason in Canada. Brother Johnny in San Diego. Sister Lisa in New York State. Sister Harris in Florida, soon to be here in Tennessee, hopefully. Sister Alexandra in Canada. Sister Kiki in Australia. Sister Brittany here in the room, (laughs) and she's waving at you. And everyone else across the world. Hope you're having a good seventh day or night, wherever you may be. Hope that you're filled with comfort and peace in Jesus Christ, regardless of the darkness and evil and wickedness in this world. Amen. Today, We're going to start in Matthew 24. 
Matthew chapter 24. And we're talking about, is it possible? Is it possible or impossible to know in advance or come to know in advance the date of Jesus' return? If you ask that to any any person, they would say, no, it is not possible. It's impossible to know the date. And that's based upon Matthew 24, verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. Here in Matthew 24, verse 36, it says, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. And so that is the verse. The verse that is used always to claim that it's impossible for the people of God, for the church, for anyone to come to know the true date of Jesus' return. But here at I Saw the Light Ministries, if you have listened very long, you know that I preach against one verse theology. To use one verse to prove something, to one verse to form your doctrine, is going to be wrong. You have to look at the entire Bible so that you know that you're not misinterpreting, so that you know that you're really and truly understanding. Always look throughout the Bible. Verse after verse, after verse, after verse. When you study the Bible, you should study it extensively, not just one or two verses or just one book of the Bible, not just what Paul said, not what only Peter said, not what only Moses said, but at the entirety of Scripture. First thing we need to notice here in this verse of Matthew 24, verse 36, of that day and hour, no one knows. Look at the word knows. I encourage you to underline the word knows. Is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? No one knows. Of course, that is present tense. At that moment, no one knows, except for the Father alone. It does not say no one will ever know. It does not say it. it. does not say that it is impossible for anyone in the future to come to know. It doesn't say it. But people assume and interject such words. 
into their mind, into their hearts, into their doctrines, that doesn't say any of these things that people assume. Amen. Are there scriptures that say that we will never know? Are there scriptures that say that we will know? We'll study this more extensively through this sermon, and I really encourage you to hear out the entire matter before you make your final, final, final decision. Now, one thing also, before we move on from this verse, is not even the Son of God knew, not even the Son of Mankind, not even Jesus himself, at that present tense moment. Why not? Let's go to Philippians 2 for that answer. Why did not the Son of God know Philippians 2? If he is God, if he is the creator of heaven and earth, why did he not know the date of his own return? Philippians 2, verse 5. And that is right after Ephesians. Philippians 2, verse 5. I'd like to also say hello to Sister Connie in Ohio, and hopefully Brother Zahn in Ohio as well. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equity or equality with God as saying to be uh, it says grasp here, but King James says, uh, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Verse 7, but emptied himself. Jesus, when he had, was in the form of God, he was spirit in heaven, he was the creator, he was the father, he created all things, Colossians and John says that. He was in the form of God. But in verse 7, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, taking the form of a bond servant, taking the form of man, having been made in the likeness of men. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the spirit that had stayed in heaven to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, God emptied himself into clay, into dirt, into the form of a man. When he poured himself into man, he emptied himself out into man, he didn't pour all himself out. We know that 
the entirety of God who fits throughout all the universe cannot fit in one person. He cannot even fit in a building. A building cannot contain the entirety of the size of God. The building would explode. And even the flesh of Jesus would have exploded if his entire spirit had been put into man. That he emptied himself in the form of that he left a lot of his power, some of his knowledge in heaven with the greater measure of the Holy Spirit. He stayed in heaven. Jesus chose to not bring in the flesh the knowledge of the date of his own return. For one thing, it was not profitable at the time to him in the flesh, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or Paul, or anyone. The date of his return was not profitable. and was actually very useless, absolutely useless. It could have not benefited anybody in that day of the first century A.D. It would be 2,000 years later before he would come back. It was of no profit, of no benefit to the people of the first century when he would return. But in our day, in our time, it would be of extreme importance, extreme importance to understand the timeline of his return. But we know that the Father in heaven knew, according to that same verse in Matthew 24, only the Father knew. No one knew, not even angels, not even the Son of Man, but the Father only. The Father knew. Now, Jesus went back to the Father. Amen? Jesus went back to the Father. And he has been on the right hand of the Father, being two manifestations, of one spirit. I hope you have watched that video. How can Jesus be God and talk to the Father and pray to the Father? If you've not watched that video yet, I really encourage you to. It's on YouTube as well as on the ministry website in the uh, video section there. But for 2,000 years, For 2,000 years, he has been in heaven on the right hand of the manifestation of the Father. And right now, he's looking down upon the earth, looking through your eyes, looking through my eyes, listening through our ears as he dwells also inside of us. He sees everything on the earth, and he's preparing a place for us. Amen. If God to prepare a place for us, mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you so. But those mansions, the new heaven and the new earth, Jerusalem shall come down out of heaven. Those mansions he's preparing for us will come down out of heaven. Right now he's preparing that. He's building a city not made with human hands. He's preparing for the marriage supper. He's preparing for the day of the Lord. He's preparing for the great tribulation and the wrath. He's preparing all these things right now. 
Do you really think that even Jesus himself does not know the date of his return? He humbled himself in the flesh, but he is no longer flesh and blood anymore. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. He is now re-glorified with the Father. And I do not believe that Jesus is ignorant of his own return. Isaiah 46, I won't turn there right now, but you can write it in your notes. Isaiah 46, verse 10, says, declaring the end from the beginning. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I would do all of my pleasure. Isaiah 46, verse 10. Let's go to Revelation now, because the Revelation was written for us more than any other generation in all of human history. Revelation 16, verse 12. Revelation 16, verse 12, is in the context of the wrath of God. The wrath of God. The wrath of God is those final 45 days 41 and a half, up to 45 days. The wrath of God being poured out upon the people on the earth, the unrepentant people, the people who have the mark of the beast who do not repent, while the saints are in heaven for the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. So understanding that context, that timeline, the last 45 days before Jesus comes back upon this earth to stand and establish his kingdom, Do you think that in those 45 days, here in Revelation 13, that in those 45 days, that even Jesus himself will not know that it's the 45 days? What? Huh? What did you say, man? What did you say? What did you say? What did you say, Willis? At the time in Revelation 16, it's those 45 days the last 45 days before Jesus comes and the seven vows, seven plagues are being poured out upon the wicked. Do you think in that day and in that time that even Jesus himself and not even the angels and not the church either will know that it's the last 45 days? Come on now. Hey, Jason. He likes that expression. (laughs) Come on now. You're seeing all the trumpets you're seeing all the seals. You're seeing the, the heavenly signs even before this, the sun and the moon, the dark, and the stars fall from heaven. You, you see all these prophecies even before this, even before we get to chapter 16. You're seeing, you're seeing the fifth seal. Well, you're seeing, first of all, the strong delusion. We started the great tribulation, the invasion of Israel. Then the sixth seal, the heavenly signs. Then the seventh seal, and trumpet number one, all through trumpet seven. Then the seven vows. So you're seeing line upon line, precept upon precept, all of it being fulfilled in perfect order. Perfect order. We're going to be able 
to say, I see this, and this is the verse for it. Then the next verse says, such and such will happen. And then that happens. And then the next verse says, such and such happens. And then that happens. We're going to see that. And you're going to be able to just take a marker and just put a check mark on the calendar. This was fulfilled this day. You're going to be able to put those dates right next to the verse in the Bible. This was fulfilled on such and such date. Amen? Are you or are you not going to be able to do that once you see it fulfilled with your own eyes? Of course. Of course. Amen. And in that day and in that time, will even Jesus not know the date of his return? Come on now. And does he not live within us? Will we be ignorant? Will we be without knowledge that it's a certain seal and a certain trumpet and a certain vow? I believe a two-year-old child could understand these things once it is fulfilled. People may be perplexed, confused right now, but when it is fulfilled... It'll be, hello, my eyes are open. Amen. Now, here in chapter 16, verse 12, Revelation 16, verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bow or his vow, the sixth plague out of the seven last plagues during the wrath. The sixth angel poured out his bow, his sixth plague out of seven, on the great river, the Aprites, which runs through Syria and other nations. And its water was dried up by that plague, so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east, from the east of Syria, which would be Iraq, uh, I believe Afghanistan, and as far back as however east you want to go, all the way back to North Korea and China, all that is east. And verse 13, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three mouths, underline mouth, mouth, and mouth. Three mouths, three men. Coming out of these mouths, three unclean spirits. Underline three unclean spirits. You know what that means? Three demons. Amen. The Trinity, who all three claim to be God, both Pope's and Assad. And these three unclean spirits, demons like frogs, which was one of the gods of Egypt. Egypt worshipped cats and many animals, including frogs. And they also worshipped snakes. The frogs was one of the false gods of Egypt. In verse 14, for they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. So what happens here 
in this sixth plague is the gathering for Armageddon. The day is getting closer and closer and closer to the actual day of Jesus' return. We know that Jesus will return on the day of this battle. That is why it's called the battle of the great day, the great day, the great day. We're going to read here in a minute, Daniel 12, talking about 1,335 days. Blesses he that cometh to the 1,335th day, Daniel 12. We'll read that in a minute. So that is the same day, that great day of that war, the battle on the get. It is that same 1,335th day. If you want to put that in your notes or in your Bible next to that verse, that is the 1,335th day. It's the last day. It's the final day. It's the great day. It's the great day of God Almighty coming down upon the earth at the battle of Armageddon. Now, these armies here in this chapter are gathering together in that valley called Megiddo, 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 outside of Jerusalem. And here in verse 15, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one. Remember, Daniel 12 says, blessed is the one or the man, or blessed is he that cometh to the 1335th day. So underline blessed. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes, spiritually speaking. That doesn't mean that you have to make for sure that on the day Jesus returns that you still got socks and you still got shoes and you still got for men, that you still have to have a shirt and all that. It's talking spiritually. It's still calling, it's talking symbolically, meaning that you should be clothed with white linen. That is what it's talking about, that spiritually, symbolically, that on the day of his return, that we are to be found clean. So blessed is the one who stays awake and spiritually keeps his clothes so that he will not spiritually walk naked and men will see his shame. This is all spiritual talk. And they gathered them together to the place, which is in Hebrew, it's called Har Magadon, just another way of saying Armageddon. Armageddon is the Greek word, and Har however you want to say it, is Hebrew or maybe Aramaic, whichever it truly is there. So, because what we got to understand is that they were already, some of the Jews were already calling Aramaic, calling it Hebrew, even by this date in 90 AD, around 90 AD that this was written. John was writing this on the island of Patmos from the Mediterranean Sea while he was in prison for the name of Jesus Christ. And here in verse 15, when Jesus says, I am coming like a thief, I'd like for you to put a bookmark here put a piece of paper or something here and go to Matthew 24 again. Matthew 24, 
<clears throat> Maybe you ought to keep a bookmark in Matthew 24 as well, just in case. And let's go back to Matthew 24 and look at verse 43, Matthew Verse 42 says, therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known, if he had known, at what time of the night, King James says, at what watch, the thief was coming. He would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. Must be ready, it says here, Matthew 24, verse 44. For this reason, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming out of our when you do not think that he will. Now, For one thing, Jesus was not talking to the people of 70 A.D., even though he had a crowd standing right in front of him. But Jesus did know he wasn't coming back in 30 years, 40 years. So even though Matthew 24 verse 36, says that he did not know the hour or the day of his own return. Common sense tells us that Jesus at least understood, even in the flesh, that he understood he wasn't coming back in only 30, 30, 40 years later in 70 AD. He knew, he understood that much, that it would take time, that there would be more generations and more generations. He knew and understand, of course, that it wouldn't be that close. He's really talking to us. Amen. He knew that this would be written. He knew that this would be preached for generations after generation after generation for hundreds and thousands of years. Jesus knew that. And this was written to us. Not to Matthew, not to Mark, not to Luke, not to John, but it's written to us to be alert. And that word thief there in verse 43, that be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known, 
at what time of the night that the thief was coming. That is in direct relationship with what we just read in Revelation 16, verse 15. Revelation 16, 15, I'm looking at now. Revelation 16, 15, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one that stays awake. So here in Matthew 24, it's telling us to be on the alert in verse 42. To be on the alert, to be awake, to be watchful. Now, who is not going to be watchful? Who is not going to be awake? Who is not going to be alert? The wicked. Amen. The wicked, the lawless people, those that reject the truth, those that reject that he's coming soon, those that still say, oh, it's going to be another 100 years. Oh, it's still going to be another 20 years. Oh, it's still going to be another 10 years. Oh, it's still going to be another seven years. They still have not built the temple. We still don't have the peace treaty. The people that keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on always sticking stubbornly to those traditional doctrines of a seven-year peace treaty and that you must see a Jewish third temple built, you must see animal sacrifices and all those things that have been taught to you by men and not from the Bible. Amen. And they'll say, oh, we, this can't happen yet. Those are the people that are going to be called unprepared. But for us, for the elect, for the chosen, for those that are willing to grow in the truth, for those that are willing to examine the scriptures and study the scriptures, will we be called unprepared and will Jesus come as a thief to us? When you think of Jesus coming, do you think of him as a thief, as a dirty, rotten scandal? Scandal. Do you think of Jesus as a thief? Of course not. But to the wicked, yeah, they are that blasphemous. To the wicked, to the lost, they do. Think of Jesus as a thief. They call him the devil. Who has come to steal and to kill and to destroy the devil and the uh, lawless people and the wicked and the false prophets, the false ministers, they have come to steal. They come as a thief. And to the wicked, Jesus is a thief. And he will break into their house and they will not be watchful. But to the people of God, to the bride that is pressing her clothes, washing her clothes in the blood of Jesus Christ. To the bride, she is sewing for the buttons. She is getting ready. She is getting the final details ready for her own wedding. Do you really think that the bridegroom himself does not know the date of his own wedding? And do you really believe that his bride also will never, ever know, not even the day before, not even the week before, not even the month before, not even the minute before, that he is at the door. Do you really believe that? Do you really want to continue to believe that nonsense? We know that he returns on the day of the Battle of Armageddon. 
when is that day? Let's now go to Daniel 12. Daniel chapter 12. Oh, no, he's going to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is gone. It is done away. It's erased. Rip those pages out of that Bible. Oh, no, he's an old covenant preacher. The book of Daniel, how dare he? Daniel 12. Daniel 12, verse 1. Daniel 12, verse 1. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince, that's the archangel Michael, it says who stands guard, but that word guard here is in italics. It is slanted which means it was added by mankind. The great prince who stands over the sons of your people. King James says, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince will stand up for the children of thy people. And it says here in New American Standard, he will arise. And there shall be a time of distress, such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time and at that time, your people, everyone who's found written in the book, will be rescued. Keep a bookmark here. And I hope that you still have a bookmark in Matthew 24 as well. You might want to keep a bookmark in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse... Twenty-one, Matthew twenty-four, verse twenty-one. For there shall be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. This is the worst time in all of human history. Worst. Than World War One, worse than seventy A.D., worse than World War Two, worse than the Jewish Holocaust. It's going to be pretty bad. The worst time in all of human history. Keep a bookmark there. Now going back to Daniel twelve, verse one. When Michael, the Archangel, great prince, stands. When he arises, there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until this time or that time. He's talking about the same thing. Amen. There's only one time in all human history that will be the worst. And that is what we call the great tribulation. So that's what it's talking about. Now, it starts when Michael, the prince, the archangel, rises. He stands up. So people have been taught wrongly that when Michael stands, that he's going to protect the people of God. 
And then, hypocritically, the same people that teach that say that before the tribulation, the saints are going to fly away, be raptured into heaven, and they won't have to worry about being protected on the earth. And they would not have to worry about persecution and martyrdom, which goes entirely against multitudes of scriptures. So how can you have both? People are so hypocritical in their traditional doctrine. So hypocritical in their traditional doctrine. So they say, well, you're going to go to heaven, but yeah, you're going to be protected on the earth when Michael stands. You can't have it both ways, one or the other. But what really happens is not protection in this verse, but rather great tribulation. When Michael stands, that releases the great tribulation upon the earth. It releases it, the tribulation, the persecution, the martyrdom, the worst time in all of human history, a time worse than the Holocaust of the 1930s and 40s. Now that word arise or stand can also be translated as to be removed, to walk away, to step aside. So if we compare that with 2 Thessalonians 2, that lawlessness exists, And that the son of perdition will arise once something is taken out of the way. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, that the traditional Babylonian church says that as what is taken away in 2 Thessalonians 2 is the church. Or they also say the Holy Spirit from the earth, that the Holy Spirit is taking away from the earth, which is nonsense. But what happens in 2 Thessalonians 2, the one that is taken out of the way according to Scripture, it never says that the Holy Spirit is taken away, never says that the church is taken away before the tribulation, but rather... It says that Michael will be taken away, that Michael will step aside, that Michael will walk away. That's what that word stand or arise means, to walk away, to be removed, to step aside. See, Michael is an archangel that stands on the right hand or left, whatever side of the throne of God, guarding the throne of God. I'd like for you to keep a bookmark here as well as one in Matthew 24, when you study the Bible, you've got to have multitude bookmarks. You've got to have bookmarks all over the place when you study the Bible. If you study it correctly, extensively, and deep, you're going to have multitude and multitudes of bookmarks. So keep one here in Daniel 12 and another one in Matthew 24. And let's go to 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. Bear with me. And some of you may not have ever listened 
before. So as you hear things you've never heard before in your life, I'd like for you to just read the scripture. Just read it. And instead of reading into it, what you've always and always been taught to read into it, which it doesn't say, instead of reading into it what you've been brainwashed to read into it, I'd like for you to just read it. Amen. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now that's what we're talking about today. The coming of the Lord. When will he come? Is it possible to know in advance the date of his return? Is it really, truly impossible to ever, ever, ever come to know that date in advance? It says regarding that, regarding about the coming of the Lord and about us being gathered with him, the catching up of the saints. Verse 2, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by spirit or a message or letter as if it were from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. In other words, all these people that are preaching, Jesus could come tonight or, or set in a date for this week, set in a date for this year of 2017. Concerning all those people who preach he could come today or tonight or this year, it says in verse 3, let no one, no one, not Pastor Tim, not Pastor Henry, not Pastor Sheila, let no one in any way, I'm making these names up, by the way, we don't really have Pastor Sheila, calm down, sit down. At verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless, or until, King James says, the, I think it says until, the hypocrisy, the falling away, comes first, and, 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 that word, and, the man of lawlessness, that's what people call the Antichrist, but the Bible never, ever, ever calls him the Antichrist. I said that to somebody the other day, the other night, in the Walmart parking lot. He looked at me very strange because people have never, ever been told that the Bible never calls him the Antichrist. They never heard that before in their life because they've been so brainwashed, so brainwashed, but it never calls him the Antichrist. I challenge you to find a scripture that calls him the Antichrist. It calls him the man of lawlessness, the man of sin. And also calls him the Assyrian and the son of perdition. Now, about the coming of the Lord and our gathering to him, the catching up, what people call the rapture, that it will not come. Let's read this again, verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you. It will not come until or unless the falling away, the hypocrisy comes first and that that man of sin, what they call the Antichrist, is revealed. Revealed. The son of destruction, son of perdition. He is going to be revealed first. And I encourage you to look 
have the word revealed there, I encourage you to underline the word revealed. And the Greek word for revealed there means to be seen and manifested. Not just predicted, but actually seen with your eyes and manifested as who he is. Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, we've always been hoped to insert into it what it does not say. We have always been told on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, but it does not say on the Temple Mount. It does not say in Jerusalem. It does not say upon the earth. But it says that he sits in that seat in the temple of God. So where is the temple of God? And people assume the temple mount. And they rebuild third Jewish temple. But if we stick with scripture, not man's interpretation, not man's teachings, not man's doctrines, not pastor and so-and-so or denomination so-and-so, but what the Bible says, keep a bookmark here. Keep a bookmark here. And turn to Revelation 11. Revelation 11. If you don't have bookmarks, just tear a piece of paper. Revelation 11, verse 19. Revelation eleven nineteen, and the temple of God, same words, the temple of God which is in heaven. It says it plain out that the temple of God is in heaven. You never ever 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 read any words after the destruction of the temple in seventy A.D., where there is a temple on the Temple Mount. They interpret, they interpret, they interpret, they interpret. Let's get rid of man's interpretation. The Bible says that no prophecy is of private interpretation. No prophecy. No prophecy is of private interpretation. So stop interpreting, stop inserting things that it doesn't say. And stick with what the Bible says. The temple of God is in heaven. Amen. Now, we go back to Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 2. So if this demon, if this son of perdition, what they call the Antichrist, is exalting himself above God, and even above Allah, 
above every so-called God upon earth, upon everything that's called God. He's exalting himself in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, above all gods and everything called God, even above Allah. And this is being fulfilled already right now. People are saying it can't happen this year or next year or this year or next year about this verse because we don't have a Jewish temple yet. But yet, it's already being fulfilled right here, right now, that in Syria, people are being beheaded for refusing to say that Assad, the president of Syria, is God above all gods, even above Allah. This is not something that I read on the Internet. A woman years ago called me after she had found the website, after God had led her to the website. But before she had ever even heard of this ministry at all, she had a dream and she saw the face of Assad. She saw him getting off an airplane dressed in a suit. And it was revealed to her in the dream that is what they call the Antichrist. But when she had the dream, she didn't even know who he was. She had never even saw him before. She didn't, she didn't hardly even watch the news, I don't think. But after having the dream, after seeing his picture in the dream, knowing he's the Antichrist, but not knowing who he was at all, the TV was on and saw him on the news, and she had to ask somebody in the room, who is that on the TV? Because that's the man in my dream. And they said, that's the president of Syria. So she did not get that revelation from Pastor Tim. She got it from God. Now she has a hairdresser who fixes her hair, does her hair, who is from Syria. And that hairdresser still has family in Syria. And that person's family that still lives in Syria they ought to know more than anybody else about what's going on in Syria. So that hairdresser had received a message from her family living in Syria saying that people are being beheaded for refusing to say that Assad is God above all gods, even above Allah. And I even have video, video, video proof on the ministry website at isawthelightministries.com of his soldiers beating people, forcing them to say that Assad is God above Allah. So this is not conjecture. This is not assumption. We are seeing of our own eyes these Verses come to pass. But we don't see him yet sitting in the seat of God or in the temple of God. But the temple of God is in heaven. The Bible says so. I don't care what such and such church, such and such minister such and such preacher, such and such denomination, such and such book, such and such website. I don't care about any of those things. 
The Bible says that he was fit in the temple of God. And the Bible says the temple of God is in heaven. How is this possible? And the people want to immediately say, this is impossible. I've had people tell me over and over and over, person after person after person, saying what you're saying is impossible. It will not happen. Because they say God would never, ever allow anyone, he would never allow a demon to sit in his seat in the seat of God in heaven. That is so blasphemous. It will never happen. It cannot happen. It's impossible. But they can't prove that from the Bible. There is no verse in any of the Bible, any verse, that says that that is impossible. But yet, they will proclaim that and stick to that regardless of this verse that says it will happen. It will happen. It is written in the Bible, and it's going to happen regardless how stubborn people are. It's written in the Bible, and the Scripture cannot be broken. It's going to happen. You say that's blasphemous. Well, it's also blasphemous, I agree. But it's also blasphemous that they spit in Jesus' face, slapped him, pierced him, mocked him, whipped him, and everything that they did to him. It was totally blasphemous. But God allowed it to happen. And also... Think of when the temple was on earth. When the temple was on earth, you had the Holy of Holies, the inner room in the back behind the curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of God was, and nobody, no one, no one, no one, except only the high priest was allowed to enter that back room of the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. Only the high priest. And even him himself was allowed in only one day a year. Only on the Day of Atonement. Only on the Day of Atonement that the one man on earth, the high priest of the time, could enter behind the curtain into the presence of God in that holy of holy rooms. But yet, it was so frightening, even for him, that they had to put a rope around one of his ankles so that if he fell dead in the presence of God, that they could pull and drag his body out from behind the curtain without anybody else stepping into the room. It was that dangerous because if you even touched the Ark of the Covenant, you could fall dead in a second. You could, if you was unclean, if you had a, even a piece of dirt on your body, he could have fell dead at the very moment. It was frightening. Nobody was allowed in that room, but only the high priest. And even him had to, had to scrub his body and get ready and prepared and put an ankle, a rope around his ankle in case he died on the spot. But, but, when the Babylonians came in, in the B.C. years, Babylonians came in, the Assyrians, and they invaded that very room and entered that very room and did not die. And they defiled that room 
the Holy of Holies, where the very presence of God usually was, and nothing happened to them. And then it happened again in 70 AD in the Second Temple when the uh, Syrian soldiers of the Roman Empire invaded the Second Temple and destroyed it and, and set up an abomination of desolation of uh, a second time of a statue in the Holy of Holies, and no one died. Why? Because God stepped aside. Because God allowed it to happen, even though it was totally forbidden and blasphemous. But God allowed it to happen. God allows the wickedness of this world, the spirit of lawlessness that already exists in this world, he allows it in order for them to reveal how wicked they are. So that when judgment comes, when judgment comes, no one will be able to righteously say that God is not just. No one, no one will be able to righteously and correctly say that God is not just to bring damnation and death to these people. They are wicked. Even the devil himself and his son of perdition. They are wicked. And these fallen angels, they are wicked. They are not just. They are not good. They lie against God himself. They say God is not fair. But God is fair. God is righteous and God is just. God is just. And he allows these things to happen to prove his point and to reveal how extremely dark and wicked these evil spirits and evil people are and to fulfill Scripture. And all these things must be fulfilled. They must be fulfilled, they must be fulfilled, and they will be fulfilled. And you can say, no, 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 all you want to, and it will still be fulfilled. Now it says in verse 4, he's going to display himself as being God. You can't do that on the Temple Mount. You have to do that in heaven. Book of Revelation 13, check it out, says that the whole world will worship him. The whole world, except for the saints, except for those whose names was written from the beginning. That's not just the Jews. That's not just the Muslims. That's not just the Hindus. That's not just the Catholics. But the whole world of different religions, of different denominations, of different races and nations and languages all throughout the earth, they will worship him. And how is that possible? Unless... He appears in heaven in the sky unless the eastern sky splits and they say, oh my God, it's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody upon the earth fall down and worship him. But the Muslims will say, oh, it's the Mahdi. Then on the news, breaking news, breaking news, manifestation in the sky. People are worshiping all over the world. People are worshiping, falling down and worshiping him. Worshiping a demon. Worship of angels that we are warned about in the Bible. Nothing has never changed. Nothing's new. Under the sun is the same old sin, same old sin, same old sin. The devil tried it before, according to the book of Ezekiel. And I believe Isaiah. Where Satan said, I will ascend into heaven, and I will feet set in the seat of God. 
and I will be God. I will be like the Most High. Satan's tried it before. Revelation 12 says, in the context of just before the Great Tribulation, that there will be a war in heaven. Michael and uh, uh, his angels and the devil and his angels will wage war in heaven. Why are they going to be in heaven waging war just before the Great Tribulation? They're not up there for a million dollars or one acre of land. They're up there for the entire heaven and earth. They're up there to try to overthrow God. The same thing that happened the first time that Satan fell out of heaven. A repeat of history. Nothing's new under the sun. The devil trying to overthrow God is impossible. He will not overthrow God. It will never happen. But that won't keep him from trying because he's that stupid. Amen. Oh, I'm not supposed to say we're stupid. I'm sorry. He's that stupid. The devil is stupid to try to think that he would overthrow God. But that won't keep him from trying. Amen. Now, when you see this with your own eyes, are you not going to know that this is the fulfillment of this scripture? Now going to 12, Daniel 12 now. Back to Daniel 12. Verse 1. Daniel 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael will stand. He will arise. There's the war in heaven, Revelation 12. Michael and his angels and Satan, his angels, waging war in heaven. There's Michael standing up. And then the great tribulation begins. That's when the devil is cast out of heaven at the end of that war. In verse 2, Daniel 12, verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt, which judgment. Talking about two different resurrections and also talking about uh, a time that would come much later. Two different resurrections. This don't occur all in one day. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, all through verses 1 through 12 does not all occur in one day. This is a summary of a huge timeline. Verse 3, those who have insight, those that have understanding, those that have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness, they will shine like the stars forever and ever. But, verse 4, but as for you, Daniel, to seal or seal up these words and seal up the book until the time of the end. Notice. I like for you to underline, encourage you to underline, until the end time. Until the end time. These words, the knowledge, the insight, the understanding of the scriptures, of the seals, of the trumpets, of the timeline, of the day of the Lord, these things were sealed to people's understanding. Even Jesus himself in the flesh did not know the day of his return in Matthew 24. It was sealed until when? Till 70 AD? No. Till 1611? No. Till 1776? No. Till 1865? No. But until the end. 
Now, this time generation, what's going to happen? These seals are coming off, and knowledge will increase. Many will go back and forth, cars, airplanes, locomotives, ships, and knowledge will increase. Not only scientific, scientific knowledge, not only technology, but even spiritual knowledge will increase the knowledge of the scriptures, the insight, the understanding of these things that were hidden until now. Amen. Verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others were standing on this bank of the river and another on the bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long? How long until the end of these wonders? How long until the end of these wonders, these things, these events that he's talking about? How long until the end of the great tribulation? How long? There's a question here that is asked and it is also answered. Is the answer, I don't know. Is the answer, I cannot know. Is the answer, it will never be known. No. The answer is this. Verse 7, I heard a man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore, swore by him who lives forever that it would be this long, a time, times, and half a time. You may not understand at first what that means, but if you read the entire Bible, if you read Revelation 11, if you read Revelation 12, if you read other parts of Daniel, if you read the entire Bible, you read the verses that follow this, then you come to understand that the word time, a time, is one year, times is two years, and half a time is, of course, half a year. So you got a total of three and a half years. How do we know that? Because the Bible repeatedly says, in the context of the Great Tribulation, that it will be 1,260 days. Another verse says 42 months. For your references to look it up and write it down here beside that verse is Revelation. Pull it up for you. So you can write it down beside that verse. I should have it written down. Revelation 11. Two and three. Try to write in this margin here. Revelation eleven, verse two and three. There's also other verses as well. But that tells you exactly, 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 exactly how long the great tribulation is. And it never says seven years. Never, ever, 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 ever says that the great tribulation is seven years. But they misinterpret Daniel 9 and other scriptures. And when they look at the same verses in Revelation 11, verse 2 and 3, they add up the numbers. They add up 42 months. And they had a 1,260 days, 
and they add them together, but it never says to add them together, and there's nothing about the context that says that we add them together. There's nothing, nothing to indicate in any way, shape, or form that we should add those two numbers together because actually the same, they are the same time frame, just different ways of saying it. If you say a time times and half a time, or rather say 42 months, or rather say 1,260 days, it's the same time frame stated in different ways. Don't add them. And as soon as they finish scattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be finished, completed. Now that goes completely contrary to a pre-trib rapture because it says here that that they will scatter the power of the holy people, the saints. That's total, total, absolute, 100%, undeniable, solid proof that there's no such thing as a preacher of rapture. Verse 8, But as for me, I heard and could not understand the people in Daniel's time, it was not meant for them to understand. The people in the first century, even Jesus in the flesh, even Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it was not meant for them to understand. They also try to use Acts 1. You can write it in your notes, Acts 1, verse 7. Acts 1, verse 7, that Jesus tells them it's not meant for you to know the times and the seasons and the eras. But he was speaking to the people at that day, at that time. It does not tell us that we're not meant to know the times and the seasons in the book of Revelation. doesn't tell us that in the book of Revelation. doesn't tell us that here in Daniel 12. But rather, Daniel 12 gives us the exact number of days from event to event, from one event to a second event, the exact number of days. Now, Daniel did not understand in verse 8, and so I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? Verse 9, Daniel 12, verse 9, he said, go your way, Daniel. For these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined. That's through tribulation. Amen. But the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. Understand what? Understand the question and the answer at hand. How long to the end of these wonders? We will understand. Verse 11, from the time, here's your marker number one, marker A. From the time, that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up. Those are two events happening at the same time. They're not two different time frames. These happen both on the same day. The one thing is the regular is abolished. Now, the word sacrifice is added into Scripture there. There are no, be no animal sacrifices. Again, people twist the scripture, they add into it what it doesn't say. It doesn't say on the Temple Mount. 
doesn't say in a rebuilt Jewish temple or third temple or in Jerusalem or on the earth. doesn't say any of those things. So stop inserting what it does not say. But that something is removed or abolished. Chapter 12, verse 1 says that that is Michael. That is what is removed. That is what is abolished. Michael arises. He stands up. He is taken out of the way, 2 Thessalonians 2, so that he is no longer guarding the throne of God. God left the building. God left the Holy of Holies to allow the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Syrian army to enter into the Holy of Holies. The same thing happens right here. According to Matthew 24, let me look at that verse, Matthew 24, verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 15. Therefore, when you see, this is something you're going to see with your eyes. 2 Thessalonians 2 says he would reveal, he would display himself as God. This is something you will see with your human eyes. When you see the abomination of desolation, I can't see Jerusalem. Hello. I don't have a microscope, a telescope that good. I can't even buy one at Walmart. They have everything, but I can't even buy, not even on Amazon, a telescope that will let me see the Temple Mount. I'm not going to look on the Internet, see the Temple Mount, but I'm not looking there every day. Amen. But I'm going to see, and you're going to see in the sky, in heaven, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, you say, don't add to Scripture, Tim. I'm not adding to Scripture. I'm pointing to 2 Thessalonians 2. That is going to be in the temple of God, Revelation 11, that it is in heaven. I'm not adding to Scripture. I'm taking Scripture, line upon line, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, that it's in heaven. You're going to see. Verse 15, Matthew 24, 15, Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see, the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of by Daniel, Daniel 12, Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. What's the holy place? The holy place is the holy of holies. The abomination of desolation is the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians 2, sitting in the seat of God in the temple of God in heaven, Revelation 11. Let the reader understand. And then you flee into the mountains. Those that are in Judea, I'm in Judea. You're in Judea. Because Romans 2 says that he is a Jew who is one inwardly, who is, his heart is sacrificed. He is a Jew. So if you're truly saved, your heart is sacrificed, you're a servant of Jesus Christ, you are in Judea, spiritually speaking. Revelation 21 and 22 says that the new heaven, that the Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a city in Judea. And Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven. And we are going to live in Jerusalem. We have reservations. We have a white ticket, Revelation 2 or 3. We have a ticket, a reservation, into Jerusalem, into Judea. We are now seated in heaven now, Ephesians. Amen. We are residents of Judea. When you see this, flee. You've got 30 days of fleeing. Now we'll go back to Daniel 12. Daniel 12. 
verse 11. From the time that the daily is removed, the time of the daily guard of the temple of God is removed, and the abomination is set up. That's Assad sitting in the temple of God in the Holy of Holies, Revelation, Matthew 24. It will be how long? Verse 11. Daniel 12, 11. Daniel 12, 11. How long? 1,290 days. Now, hang on man. That's a different number than what Revelation 11 says of 1,260 days. What's the difference? The difference is 30 days. So when you see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, then you know that the desolation thereof is near. The Luke says that. When you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, you know the desolation thereof of Jerusalem is near. Book of Luke, you can look it up. So when we see those armies surrounding Jerusalem, we know that Assad is about to stand sit in the seat of God in heaven. We're going to be able to mark these things. Check mark, check mark, check mark, check mark. We're going to be able to count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We're going to have 30 days of fleeing when we see the strong delusion in the sky. And it comes on the news and we see everybody falling down, worshiping the, the demon in heaven. You're going to have 30 days to flee. And the reason I say 30 days to flee is because the difference between 1260 and 1290. We know that the 1260 is how long the great tribulation is. Not a day longer, not a day shorter. And it will not be cut short because the scripture says 1260 days. It will not be broken. It cannot be broken. It cannot be changed. It is 1,260 days. It is written in stone. 1,260 days. Can you count 1,260 days? Now, if 1,260 days for the great tribulation, but there's a 1,290 from the strong delusion, there's 1,290 days beginning with the abomination in heaven. But the great tribulation is only 1,260. So it's very, very, very easy. A 12-year-old, 11-year-old, 10-year-old, 8-year-old, maybe even a 6- and 5-year-old could tell you that if the great tribulation is 1260, but you've got 1290 that begins with the abomination in heaven, then you've got three days that is in front of the 1260. 30 days in front of the 1260. 30 days to flee into the wilderness, into the desert, into the bushland, into the woods, into basements, into shelters. And why? Why? Why will you have to flee? Because it's going to be worse than the Holocaust. Because it's going to be worse, worse than the Holocaust. And it won't just only be in Jerusalem. Do you really think that he was talking only to people in Jerusalem? This is going to be worse than that. 
It is going to be worse. It's going to be worldwide. Worldwide. It's going to be right here in America. It's going to be in South Korea. It's going to be in Australia. It's going to be in South Africa. It's going to be in Nigeria. It's going to be in Canada. It's going to be in Mexico. It's going to be in the Caribbean, in in Puerto Rico. It's going to be all over the world. It's going to be World War III, God made God war. And when those Muslims have that victory, when those Muslims have the victory of the invasion of the Israel, Revelation 11 says that the holy city, talking about Jerusalem, will be tread underfoot by the Gentiles, invaded, conquered. The Muslims are going to go crazy. They're going to go insane. Muslims all over the world are going to be shooting and stabbing and beheading and bombing all over the place. Left and right, every every turn you make around the corner of downtown, there's going to be a beheading, a stabbing all over the land. Because it is going to be the coming of their Maui, their victory against the Jews, their victory against the Christians, their victory against righteousness and life. God is going to hand it to them. Because that's what they want. And God is going to hand it to them. That's what the Democrat Party wants. That's what Obama wants. It's what the atheists want. It's what the Satanists want. It's what the witches want. It's what the unbelievers want. And God is going to hand it to them. Because he's going to prove that they are guilty. And they are deserving of the lake of fire. And God is righteous and just. He's going to let them hang themselves. Amen. He's going to let them hang themselves. Verse 12 here, Daniel 12, 12. But blessed is he who keeps waiting. Keeps waiting. You're not gone yet. You're not gone yet. How can you be going to heaven if you're supposed to keep waiting? Keep waiting. And obtains to that final day. 1,335 days. Well, that's a brand new number. And what is the difference? Another 45 days at the end of the tribulation. So you got 30 days of fleeing before the great tribulation and 45 days at the end of the tribulation. Why are there 45 days at the end of the tribulation? If you study Revelation 11, the two witnesses are preaching ministering to the whole world for 1,260 days of the Great Tribulation. On the last day of their ministry of 1,260 days, 1,290 days, at the end of that, the two witnesses are killed. That's the end of the 1,260 in Revelation 11, the day that they are killed. The day that the witnesses are killed, you can mark the date in your Bible, keep a bookmark here in Daniel 11 
and turn to Revelation 11. Revelation 11, verse 3. Revelation 11, verse 3. For I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy how long? 1260 days. That's a time, times and a half a time. That's three and a half years. That's 42 months. Clothed in sackcloth. Then go over here to down to verse uh, 7. Revelation 11, verse 7. When they have finished their testimony. Now, how long are they going to preach? It, said, it just said 1260 days. That's how long they're going to preach. They're not preaching yet. They're not preaching yet. Because if they was already preaching ministry and if they were already active in their prophetic ministry, then it would be much longer than 1260. But on the day Israel is invaded, that is the day they will stand up and start preaching. How do I know that? Because it talks about Jerusalem being invaded in verse 2. And Jerusalem will be underfoot of the Gentiles in verse 2 for how long? 42 months. So the same 42 months, the same 1260 days, begins at the invasion of Israel. When you see the invasion of Israel, you know that the 1260 begins. You're going to be able to mark it in your Bible, the date of the invasion of Israel. And you're going to be able to count on the calendar 1,260 days. And to the day, to the day, not the day before, not the day after, to the day you're going to be able to count 1,260 days on the calendar. You're going to be able to mark it on the calendar 1,260 days to the day that they die. And you're going to be able to mark three and a half years in advance the date of the death of the two witnesses. Verse 7 and when they have finished, at the end of the 1260, that day that you mark on the calendar, the beast, Assad, it says in Arabic, it says, not Assad, but his real family name. I'm going to have to learn how to pronounce that, his real family name. That's what is written in Arabic for the word beast. That comes up out of the abyss, will make war with them, those two witnesses, and overcome them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lay in the street of the great city, Jerusalem. I know it's Jerusalem, I'm not adding into it, I'm explaining it. Which mystically, symbolically, is called solemn because Jerusalem was declared the most gay-friendly city in the world. So it's called solemn, and it's also spiritually called Egypt because of their sins and idolatry and idolatry, where also the Lord was crucified. Where was the Lord crucified? Jerusalem. Those of from the tribes, peoples, tribes, and tongues, and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days. You can mark it on the calendar. One, two, three, and a half. 
you got the end of the 1260, they die. Then you can count three and a half, mark it on the calendar, and that's when you're going to heaven. That is when you are going to heaven. That is when the seventh trumpet will blow. You're going to be able to mark on the calendar the date of the blowing of the last trumpet. All you got to do is look at the dead body and count three and a half days. And will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate the same gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. They were not peaceful. They were not Joel Osteen preachers, but they tormented the people. Verse 11. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them. They stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Come up here, rise up. They rise from the dead. This is the first resurrection. This is the blowing of the seventh trumpet. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, the seventh angel sounded. This is the blowing of the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. I encourage you to write that in your notes for verse 15. I encourage you to write it in your Bible next to verse 15. 1 and, and right in there, verse 15, right in, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, talking about the last trumpet, that the dead in Christ arise, and the mortals shall put on immortality, and the mortals shall put on immortality. Amen. And it will happen in the blink of an eye, it says. So, that's when we rise. And what happens in verse 19? The temple of God, which is in heaven... Was opened. Do you know, like I said earlier, that the high priest entered the Holy of Holies once a year, only on the Day of Atonement. And that was the only day that the Ark of the Covenant appeared. So in verse 19, I encourage you, encourage you to underline the Ark of the Covenant appeared. That only happened on the Day of Atonement. That's the only time, the only day of the year, year after year, century after century, century after century, the only time that the Ark of the Covenant appeared to the eye of mankind was only on the Day of Atonement. This very well could be saying to us, that as you count the days, that the last day, the 1,335th day, will be the Day of Atonement. Could be saying that. Now, the seventh angel in verse 15, the seventh trumpet, and then verse 19, has a gap of 45 days. It doesn't all happen in one day. Verse 15 will actually be the last of the 1260, and it's also the last of the 1290. So if you want to put in your notes or next to verse 15 or under verse 15, you could write end of 1260 and end of 1290. It's the end of both the 1260 and the 1290 because you got 1290 begins at the strong delusion. But the 1260 begins 30 days later at the beginning of the invasion. 
So both days end at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. Then 45 days begin. So verse 15, also write in, if you can fit it some words, this is the beginning of the 45 days. Verse 15 is the end of the 1260, the end of the 1290, and the beginning of the 45 days. Verse 19 is the end of the 45 days. Verse 19, I encourage you to write it in, the end of the 45 days. And verse 19, usually, 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 unless God breaks his pattern, which I don't think he will, but it usually only happened on the Day of Atonement. So, what I'm saying is Daniel 12, I'm going back to that now. Daniel 12, verse 12. Daniel 12, verse 12. How blessed is he who keeps watching and waiting and obtaining to the that day, that last day, the day that the temple and God is woven, Ark of the Covenant, that is the day of the Battle of Armageddon, 1,335th day. Now let's look at some other scriptures. Let's go the book of Numbers, Numbers 29, Numbers 29, what's that, the fourth book of the Old Testament, I think, yeah, fourth book of the Old Testament, book of Numbers, chapter 29. Numbers 29, verse 7. Numbers 29, verse 7. Then on the tenth day of the seventh month, this is talking about the day of atonement. The tenth day of the seventh month. According to Leviticus 23, that would be the day of atonement. So here in Numbers 29, verse 7, on the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. That means a commanded worship service, a commanded time of gathering together. This is not a choice. It is a commanded gathering. And you shall humble yourselves, and you shall not do any work. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, which is as a smoothing aroma. We know Revelation 11, not 11, Revelation, somewhere in Revelation it says that our prayers are being thrown onto the altar of God in heaven and they are the incense that are going up before God in heaven now. Our prayers are now our burnt offerings. Our prayers are are now our burnt offerings. But here in the Old Covenant, 
the burnt offering was animals. And it says that it was one bull, one ram, seven male lambs a year old. Then go down to verse 10. Verse 10, so the tenth for each of the seven lambs. In verse 11, one male goat. So you've got four animals here. So I'd like for you in verse 8 to underline bull. Verse 8, underline bull. Underline ram. Underline lambs. And then verse 11, underline goat. You've got those four animals. And it was only those four animals. You couldn't sacrifice frogs or fish or elephants or zebras. It had to be these four specific animals. And it had to be all four. The bull, the ram, the lamb, and the goat. Very, very specific. And it happened only on the Day of Atonement, not any other time of year. You had other sacrifices, but this was the only day out of the entire year, year after year, century after century, that you had to sacrifice these four, all four of these specific animals, only on the Day of Atonement. Now look at Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34, verse 1. Draw near, O nations, to hear and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains hear, and the world and all that springs from it. This is something that God wants everybody to know. Everybody, listen. Verse 2. For the Lord's inundation, his wrath, is against all the nations, not just Jerusalem, all the nations. And his wrath against all their armies, his wrath is against the American army. His wrath is against the Israeli army. His wrath is against the South Korean army. His wrath is against the Canadian army. His wrath is against the Mexican army. His wrath is against the Nigerian army. His wrath is against all armies and all nations. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to what? Slaughter. On the Day of Atonement, there was a great slaughter of not just one animal, not just two animals, not just three animals, but all four animals. He has given these people, these armies, these wicked people, over to the slaughter. Now remember, he's coming back at the day of the battle of Armageddon, when the armies of the world are gathered against him. He is going to slaughter them at the battle of Armageddon, when all these armies, during the wrath, 
underline verse 2, wrath against all their armies. Underline slaughter. This is talking about the battle of Armageddon. Amen. Verse 3. So their slain will be thrown out, and their corpses will give off their stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood. Yes, this is talking about the battle of Armageddon. And all the hosts of army will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. This is talking about the day of Jesus' return. And all their hosts will also welter away as a leaf welters from the vine as, or as one welters from the fig tree. Verse 5, For my sword is saturated in heaven, Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom, which is Jordan, and upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is satted with fat, with the blood of underlying lambs, underlying goats, with the fat of the kidneys of underlying rams. Amen. What's the one animal missing so far? Bulls is missing so far, but we'll get to it. So you underline lambs, goats, and rams, three of the four animals. For the, for the Lord has a sacrifice in uh, Rez and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen will also fall with them and young bulls. There's your word, bulls, with strong horns. I believe oxen and bulls, just another way of saying the same thing, if I'm not mistaken. So you got all four animals. And again, they were only slaughtered only on the Day of Atonement. Now here, in this chapter, this is not talking about sacrificing actual animals. But rather in this chapter, the context is God slaughtering people, armies, gathered at the Battle of Armageddon. But he slaughters them symbolically as if he is slaughtering the sacrifice for the Day of Atonement. And at the same time, the Ark of the Covenant in heaven appears. Is this only symbolic as far as the Day of Atonement goes? Could be, or maybe not. There's other scriptures that go along with this as well. Another thing you need to know about the Day of Atonement and the other holy days that come in the seventh month of the year. The seventh month of the year, you have not only is it the seventh month of the year for the Day of Atonement, but you also have the Feast of Trumpets being on the first day of that month, the first day of the seventh month in God's calendar. It's called the Feast of Trumpets. And that pictures the return of Jesus Christ. Then nine days later, you got the Day of Atonement. Then five days later, you got the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is called, I mean, or the Feast of Tabernacles is the seventh holy day or festival of the year. At the end, the Feast of Tabernacles has seven days. Plus, you have your last great eighth day that many times is considered as a separate holiday. 
So you got seventh month, and you've got the last three of the eight or nine holidays. I'd say nine, even ten holidays, counting uh, Hanukkah and Purim, which you can learn more about on the ministry website at IsawTheLifeMinistries.com. But out of those that are listed in Leviticus 23, tabernacles would be the seventh. So you have the seventh month and the seventh holiday. You also got seven seals. Then you got seven trumpets. Then you got seven vows. So you got seven, seven, seven in the book of Revelation. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vows. Jesus comes back on the last vow of the last trumpet of the last seal. You've got the seventh month of the year. You've got seven holidays, and you've got seven days of the feast. Let's go to Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14, verse 1. While you're turning to Zechariah 14, I'll also let you know that the Jews actually call the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement the festival of which no man knows the hour or the day. And the reason they call it that is that usually for like Passover, Unleavened Bread, Bread, Pentecost, these other holy days, even Tabernacles, you usually know in advance when the date is going to be because you wait for the new moon and as soon as you see the new moon, you can start counting the days. One, two, three, and you count to the 14th day for Passover. You count to the 15th day for Unleavened Bread. You count to the 15th day for Feast of Tabernacles of the seventh month. But for the Feast of Trumpets, it's different. The Feast of Trumpets is the only holy day that falls on the first day of the month. And because of that, you don't know the hour or the day of the Feast of Trumpets which is only nine days before atonement. Because you don't know for sure when that moon is going to be new. You have to wait for it. You might can predict it. You might can look on the Internet, but you don't know for sure, just like last week or the week before, whenever it was, that I didn't know for sure what day it was. And there was a little bit of confusion there because the first day of each month, you don't know for sure. And that's the only holy day, only trumpets, is the feast of which you don't know the hour or the day of what the Jews caught. So was Jesus, was Jesus giving us a clue right there by saying that we don't know or did not know at that present time the Fire for the day. And yet trumpets has that name of the festival that which no man knows the hour or the day of its coming. And all these days are separated only by a few days. You got trumpets, nine days later, atonement, five days later, tabernacle, all occurring in the seventh month, representing completion, representing it's done, it's finished. 
Here in Zechariah 14, verse 1, Zechariah 14, verse 1, Behold, a day is coming when the Lord, Jesus, and when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. That's talking about the battle of Armageddon. I will gather, Jesus will, gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured. Israel can never be invaded. Huh. It will be invaded. But now, it's not just talking about the Battle of Armageddon. It's also talking about the beginning of the 1260. This is actually talking about the beginning of the 1260. I have to correct myself here. Verse 2 is talking about not the Battle of Armageddon. I have to correct myself. But it's talking about the beginning of the 1260. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured. That's the same thing in Revelation 11, verse 2, or verse 3, that the city will be tread underfoot for 1260 days. And the house is plundered, and women ravished, and half the city exiled, which means they'd be carried away captive to Iran, Syria, China, Russia. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city, just like in the other invasions of Babylon and Rome. Then in verse 3, starts talking about the battle of Armageddon. So it, it moves 1,260 days into the future, even 1,200 and uh, they're all the way down to whenever the battle of Armageddon begins. Verse 3 starts talking about the battle of Armageddon at the end of the wrath. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. That's the battle of Armageddon, as when he fights on a day of battle, the battle of Armageddon. And in that day, his feet, on that 1,335th day on the battle of Armageddon, his feet will stand, he will land, contrary to what Babylon teaches you. He will land, he will stand on the Mount of Olives, which not the Temple Mount, that's not the Temple Mount. He's not coming back to the Temple Mount. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives where he preached, which is in the front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle, from the east to the west. Now let's go over here to verse, verse 16. Let's go to verse 16. Now verse 16 is talking about after he lands on the Mount of Olives, He's come back to the earth. The great tribulation is over with. The wrath is over with. All that's done and over with. He's here now. And the thousand years has begun. Verse 16. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem, those that survived the great tribulation, they also survived the wrath. They survived all that. They survived Holocaust. Those that are left of the nations that went against Jerusalem. These are wicked people. These are not just the saints left, but people who fought against Jerusalem. These are Gentiles. These are Russians, Syrians, Iranians who fought against Jerusalem. 
and they survived the wrath of God. This is the mercy of God. This is the love of God. That he is not willing for any man to perish, but to have everlasting life. Now we know from the Bible that some will perish. Psalm 37, Malachi 4, Book of Revelation, and more scriptures. Some will perish. They will hang themselves. It is their own sin and their own choice to go to the lake of fire. But God is going to do everything in his power to try to get as many people as possible saved. Even to the extent of allowing wicked people to survive the wrath of God. And they will continue to to live even during the thousand years. Flesh and blood people who are sinners who will continue to live during the thousand years. Not all thousand years they won't live, but they will live into the thousand years. And it says that they will go up from year to year, every year, to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, that's Jesus, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths, which is also can be translated Fiesta of Tabernacles. Verse 17, and it will be that whichever of the families of the earth that does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. This be the plague which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the fiesta of tabernacles, if you translate it more correctly. Is it just for the Jews? No. It's for all nations. It's for Egypt. It's for Iran. It's for China. It's for Russia. It's for Syria. It's for all people all nations. It was never done away with. It's going to be the law of God, both in the past, present, and future. It's the law of God. You must, you must keep the fiesta of tabernacles. And this is the first holiday after Jesus comes back. Jesus just landed on the Mount of Olives. Now he could say, you got to come keep Pentecost. He could say, you got to come and keep the uh, Passover communion. He could say, you've got to keep come for trumpets or come for atonement. But the first holiday he mentions after he is back is come and worship me at the Feast of Tabernacles. Five days after atonement. Amen. I believe that Jesus very well could, could, could come back on the Day of Atonement. He could also come back on the Fiesta of Trumpets or even at the Feast of Tabernacles. But either way, that's still the seventh month. It's still the seventh month, whether you say trumpets, whether you say atonement, whether you say tabernacles, it's still the seventh month of the year. 
the number of completion, which usually comes in September, October. Now, if it's impossible that we would ever, ever, ever come to know the date in advance, then why? Why does Daniel 12 give us that you're going to have 1,290 days starting from the abomination of desolation? Why is that written? Hey, Daniel couldn't understand it. It was useless to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's why Jesus didn't even bring that knowledge with himself. But it's not useless to us who will see it fulfilled with our eyes. I'd like for you to ask yourself this question and do not ignore it and do not push it aside. Why is it written in the scriptures that there will be exactly 1,335 days total and 1260 exactly for the ministry of the two witnesses and 1290 from the abomination of desolation until the wrath and then the 45-day wrath. How come we can add and subtract all this? How come we can figure it out? How come it's as easy as an eight-year-old can add and subtract these numbers? Because God wants us to know. He does not want us to be ignorant. He wants us to know. He wants us to be ready. Have you ever received a marriage invitation in the mail or in person when they give you that marriage uh, wedding invitation? Isn't there always a date? There's always, always, always a date written on the wedding invitation. I like for you to arrive on such and such a date for my wedding. Does the bridegroom, does the groom, even to this day and even two years from now, not know the date of his own wedding? Will the bride also not know the date of her own wedding? How can a woman get ready if she doesn't know the date? I'd like for you to read, turn with me to Amos chapter 3. It's just a few pages to the left here. Uh, Amos 3. Verse 7. Amos 3, verse 7. Amos 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing, nothing. He does nothing unless he reveals it. He reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. Did he not send Jonah to Nineveh in advance? I told Jonah to tell those people the destruction will come in 40 days or 45 days, whatever it was. He gave him the exact number of days. Now, the only reason 
that it didn't come to pass in that exact number of days, but the whole nation repented. The whole city, huge city, repented. Even the president, the king, repented. And he led the people in repentance. But years later, when they went back to their old ways and they fell away and the apocalypse came, the judgment came. The destruction still came to Nineveh. It still came. But in this day and in this time, if you really think, if you really think that America is going to repent or Canada or Australia or South Korea or South Africa or Nigeria or Mexico or wherever you are, if you really think that you're going to have an entire huge city or entire nation to repent like Nineveh did, you got another day, another thing coming to you. You're imagining, you're imagining things of your own heart, your own mind. These things are not going to happen. Entire nations are not going to repent in this day, in this hour, until judgment comes, until destruction comes upon the people, and only then will the people repent. But surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. He always sends prophets ahead of time. Before it happens. He even told Jonah the exact number of days. And so why is it written for our time, for our generation, the exact number of days if we're not going to be able to mark it off on the calendar? Now turn over here a few pages to the book of Joel. It's just a few pages to your left. Joel 2. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Joel 2, verse 28. Now, I've preached most of this before, but here's something I've not preached before. Here is a gift from heaven that is new to me, a new revelation. As the seals continue to be opened, as knowledge is increased, as he continues to pour out his spirit, upon us as we continue to grow in him and learn from him and as he continues to teach us. I've never heard this before. Joel chapter 2. Joel 2 verse 28. Joel 2 verse 28. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and the female servants, I will pour out my servant, my spirit in those days. For I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. What is this talking about? This is the sixth seal. Keep a bookmark here. Sixth seal. Let's look at Revelation. Book of Revelation. 
sixth seal is Revelation 7. Revelation 7. I actually look at Revelation 6, verse 12. Revelation 6, verse 12. Revelation 6, verse 12. Then I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth. So, this is the sixth seal that we just read in Joel 2. I'd like for you to keep a bookmark right there. We're going to go back and forth a few times. I'm going to go back, and I'd like for you also use three bookmarks here. Joel 2, Revelation 6, and also put a bookmark in Acts 2, Acts chapter 2. Amen. Praise Jesus. All right. So now let's go with your three blood marks. Let's go to Acts 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1. If you go to church and you don't need more than one bookmark, you're not in church. (laughs) And you're listening to one verse theology. Amen. Never go to a church where you don't need bookmarks. It's a danger to your soul. Acts 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And we know what happened. The Holy Ghost came down. They started speaking in tongues. Then look at verse 14. Acts 2, verse 14. Context, as we saw in verse 1, is the day of Pentecost. Verse 14, Acts 2, 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, Raise his voice. Uh-oh. Peter raising his voice. In church, how dare he? And declared to them. Of course, I'm being... Uh, I don't know what the word for that is. Anyway, raise his voice and declare to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose. For it's only the third hour of the day. Now he didn't say these men are not drunk because they're forbidden to drink. He didn't say that. He said they're not drunk because it's early 
in the day. It's only the third hour of the day. Verse 16, but this is what was spoken uh, through the prophet Joel, of Joel 2, of what we just read. And he says, this is what was spoken. He's saying this is a fulfillment. And he quotes Isaiah in verse 17. And it shall be in the last days, God said, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. We read that in Joel 2. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond servants, my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Verse 19, I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, fire, blood, fire, and vapor smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord come, meaning before Jesus comes. That you're going to have these seals. You're going to have the sixth seal. This is the sixth seal of Revelation 6 that we just read. The sixth seal. So I'd like for you to mark in your Bible encourage you to mark in your Bible, if you would, to put some words here in Acts 2 that this is the sixth seal, but it wasn't actually open then. Peter thought it was the end of the world. He was wrong. He thought the sixth seal was being opened, but we know that's not true. Now we know it because we have better understanding now than what they did then. Amen. Now, if Peter had been alive today, we would have stoned him and skinned him for this false prophecy. We would have skinned him alive for saying this is the opening of the sixth seal when it was not. He simply made an honest mistake. But it's good that he made that mistake because it helps us now to understand even more than reading only Joel 2 by itself, that we have a repeat of Joel 2, that we have a quotation from Joel 2, that Peter made this mistake of thinking it was the end of the world. He said that this is the fulfillment, verse 16, but this is what was spoken by Joel. It was not because he didn't see the sun and the moon darken. No words, no words, no words in the Bible does it say not in Acts 1, not in Acts 2, not in Acts 3, not in Acts 4. No words in the book of Acts. No words in the Bible does it say that on the day of Pentecost of that year that the sun and the moon darkened or the stars fell from heaven or that the sixth seal was actually opened at that time. He made a mistake. But he recognized that there's a connection between the sixth seal, and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. He saw the outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon multitudes of people. Multitudes. 
of different languages, of different nations that were gathered together on the day of Pentecost. And they, the Bible says here in Acts 2 that they spoke different languages, but they understood the tongues even in their own language. Each one heard the tongues in their own language, even though there was people there from many different nations, it says. And so, Paul, I mean, Peter, quoted Joel 2 because he recognized the connection of the sixth seal and God pouring out his spirit upon the multitudes of people. So then, let's go to a different chapter in Revelation. No, it's the same, well, the next chapter, Revelation 7. Remember in Revelation 6 that the sixth seal will open in 6.12. Revelation 6.12, the sixth seal will open, which is what Peter thought he was seeing. Then look at Revelation 7, verse 1. Revelation 7, verse 1. The sixth seal is open, and look what happens. Revelation 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. Keep a bookmark there. We're going to come right back. Look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 13, Ephesians 1, 13. Ephesians 1, 13. Ephesians 1, 13. In him... In Christ Jesus, you also, after listening to the gospel of truth, the gospel, the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you heard and you believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Remember that in the last chapter of Luke, that Jesus said, wait for the promise. Then in Acts 1, they were waiting. But then in Acts 2, they received the seal of promise, the seal of the Holy Ghost. Here in Ephesians 1, verse 13, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, it should say. The Holy Ghost, a promise that refers to last of Luke, that refers to Acts 1, that refers to Acts 2. So now going back to Acts, going back to Revelation, going back to Revelation 7, Revelation 7, Verse 2, Revelation 7, verse 2, I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. That is the Holy Ghost. He's going to seal mankind with the Holy Ghost. 
Ephesians 1 says that you are sealed with the Holy Ghost of promise. And so you're sealed with the living God, and you cried out with a holy, with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants, which is what we keep reading over and over in all these chapters, the bondservants of God on their foreheads. This is a sealing of the Holy Ghost, of new converts. Verse 4, I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Then it lists the tribes and 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. But look at verse 9. It's not just the Jews sealed. And it's not just the tribes of Israel sealed. It's not just white people sealed. Verse 9, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, like on the day of Pentecost, a great multitude, which no one could count. Now, they counted 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. But at this time, at the actual real fulfillment of Joel, the real fulfillment of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon all flesh, this is a great multitude that no one could count, greater than what Peter recognized, but no one could count. From every nation, every tribe, all tribes and people and nations, these are Nigerians, these are South Africans, these are Kenyans, these are Chinese, Russians, Syrians, Iranians, Chinese, Koreans, Americans, thank God, all over the world who get saved during the tribulation. How can we say the Holy Spirit is removed? The Holy Spirit is poured out. <laughs> How can we say the Holy Spirit has been removed from the earth? When the Holy Spirit is poured out, Babylon is a liar from hell. The Holy Spirit is poured out. The exact opposite of what Babylon is teaching. I remember the Baptist church play one time I saw when I used to sit on the back row of the Baptist churches that or even close to the back row, sometimes in the middle. But I remember when I was in those churches and this one Baptist church had a, a yearly play of the rapture. And in that play they presented it as Certain people in the church were raptured and certain people in the church were left behind. Then the people that were left behind were crying. It's like, oh, no, I want to get saved. Come on, it's not too late. Come on, it's not too late. Let's get saved. And the other person was like, nope, it's too late. It's too late. Don't even pray. You cannot get saved. That is what they were teaching in that play, in that Baptist church. It's too late. You can't get saved in the great tribulation is what they were teaching. That's a lie from the devil. I no longer go to the devil church. I no longer go to the satanic church that teaches you you can't be saved in the great tribulation. I no longer remember the satanic church of the Baptist church. Amen. So what you're seeing here 
as new converts, not only the 144,000 virgin men of Israel, of America, of Canada, of South Africa, of Australia, here in verses 4 to 8, but even Africa, Russia, China, Koreans, all of, and South Americans and Mexicans, here in verse 9, all getting saved. This is the end time fulfillment of the day of Pentecost, and it's the sixth seal. So what I'm saying now is that the sixth seal will most, most likely, most likely, sixth seal will be opened on the day of Pentecost, the year before Jesus comes back. And the reason I say the year before he comes back is there is a scripture here in Revelation says the angels had been bound, Revelation 9, Revelation 9, verse 13, Revelation 9, verse 13, then the sixth angel sounded of the sixth trumpet. The sixth trumpet comes later, and the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel, who had the trumpet, released the four angels who were bound at the great river of Threades. These are the four angels mentioned in chapter 7, verse 1. So I'd like for you to put a note in your margin here in Revelation 9, verse 15. Revelation 9, verse 15, right in the margin, 7, colon 1 meaning Revelation 7, verse 1. These are the four angels from 7, verse 1. Then, hold your finger over there and pull back to Revelation 7, verse 1 and put a note in the margin. This refers back to 9, verse 15, or verse 14 and 15, Revelation 9, verse 14, 15, and 7, 1. Right? So these are the same four angels. In 7, 1, they are told to hold back. Don't hurt the earth until the servants of God are sealed, until they are saved, until they are sealed of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus through baptism. Then, in Revelation 9, verse 15, the four angels who had been prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, 13 months. 13 months and a day and an hour. Exact time, even even going down to the minute. Amen. Even going down to the second. This is now given us not just 1260 days here in 1290 and 1335, but it's getting so specific now. This is the sixth angel. This is the last angel. No, not the last angel, but next to the last angel of the trumpets. It's getting close to the day of the Lord, and it's getting more specific, more specific. 13 months, and, what well, says a year and a month, that's 13 months, and a day and an hour, meaning 60 minutes. It's getting down to the minutes now. Amen. You're going to be able to check these off on the calendar. And this is 13 months, one hour and one day 
from the opening of the sixth seal of chapter 7, verse 1, which is also chapter 6, verse 12. 7, 1 is referring to 6, 12, the sixth seal. From the sixth seal until the sixth angel of the sixth trumpet is 13 months, one day, and one hour. I'll say that again. From the opening of the sixth seal on Pentecost until the sixth trumpet is 13 months, one day, and one hour. How come all these specific details, even down to a day and an hour, how come this is written? How come this is written? If it's impossible to come to know when Jesus comes. And if the sixth seal is opened on the day of Pentecost, then wouldn't it make also perfect sense for him to come back on the day of atonement after those 13 months are over with? Now, there's also another month or two after the sixth trumpet. Look at Revelation 9, verse 13. This is the sixth trumpet. You've still got the seventh trumpet that's going to blow after this. And then after the seventh trumpet, when we're called up to heaven, you still got another 45 days. After we're called up to heaven, you've got 45, actually 41 and a half days of wrath. 45 days of wrath that the, the saints, the, the two witnesses are dead for three and a half days. I know it gets confusing. I have a new chart, Pastor AJ, uh, made for us a new chart. And I wrote everything I've shared today and more in a brand new article. And so I'd really like you to check that out after you get done listening to this or maybe sometime later today or tomorrow. The new article about all of this gives you more scriptures and a chart where you can see it really nice and clear and easy. Help you understand. Go to isawthelightministries.com slash day Jesus return. But the word day is a capital D. Day Jesus, capital J for Jesus. Return, capital R for return. No spaces. So again, the address is isawthelightministries.com slash day, capitalized, Jesus, capitalized, return, no S on the end, return, dot HTML, day, Jesus, return, dot uh, HTML. I'll put that on the newsletter. Uh, shortly after the broadcast is over, I will try to get online. Uh, maybe I won't put it on the newsletter right away. Maybe I'll just send it in a text message to everybody. And hopefully you're already signed up for the notifications. And if you're already signed up for the notifications, it'll come either to your email or to your cell phone, however you're signed up. Uh, uh, because of the company that I use for the notifications, uh, they only offer the cell phone text messages for only people in the United States. 
But outside of the United States, you can sign up for email. And you can sign up for either email or text messages or either one if you have an American phone number. So I'm going to text that into your email and your cell phones after the broadcast in case that you in case you have any trouble finding it. Then I'll try to get it on the newsletter maybe tomorrow or so. And that will help clear some of this up and help you understand better. Now, we could be off a day or two when we start checking off the calendar. When we see the strong delusion, we count 1335. Do you count from Israeli time zone? Do you count from the time zone you live in? I I think you would count from the Israeli time zone. And also, do you count that day? And do you count the actual day? of Jesus' return? Do you count both days or do you count the beginning day or the end day or what? So we could be a day off, but we would definitely know the week. We would definitely know the week, even down to a couple of days. We should be able to count it and know. The Bible never, ever, ever says that we cannot know or that we would never know. It does not say it. Um, I'd like for you to look at 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In Thessalonians 5, verse 4, One Thessalonians 5, verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day would overtake you like a thief. Yeah, Jesus is coming back like a thief to the wicked. But for you, brethren, you are not in darkness, that that day would overtake you like a thief unexpectedly. If we are watching, if we're paying attention, if we are living in the spirit of the Lord, we're going to know. I understand, and I really do understand, that most people are never, ever going to accept this revelation because they have it ingrained in their brain, ingrained deep and solid, and it cannot be erased from them, that no man will ever know the day or the hour of Jesus' coming. But it does not say that we will not know. It was written in the present tense, not future tense. Why? I have to keep going back to this. Why are we given the exact number of days for all these different things 
if we're not going to be able to count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now, we can't know until we see that strong delusion unless God also reveals the date of the strong delusion. And that's very possible as well. Because if Jesus does come back on the Day of Atonement, if he comes back, if it's not just symbolic about the sacrifices and how he's going to kill the people the same way that he kills the lambs, the goat, and the rams, and whatever the other animal was, if that's not just symbolic and he really is coming back on the Day of Atonement, he can't come back the Day of Atonement this year or the Day of Atonement next year, or the Day of Atonement the following year. He can't because we have to have 1,335 days from the strong delusion, which is the abomination in heaven, until the day he comes. So you cannot fit 1,335 days between now and 2020. You can't do it. So the very first possible Day of Atonement that he might could come back would be a Day of Atonement of 2021. That would be the first possible Day of Atonement that he could come back is Day of Atonement 2021, which is September the 15th, Israeli time, September 15th. 2021 Israeli time. First possible day of atonement. Not saying that he's going to come back that date. I cannot say that. And the only reason I can't say that he will come back that date is because we've not seen the strong delusion yet. But once we see the strong delusion, we are going to proclaim a date. Even if it's not the day of atonement, when we see the strong delusion, even if you cannot listen to these services, even if the electric goes out, even if the website, God forbid, gets wiped out of existence, you, where you are, in your own home, your own Bible, your own calendar, when you see the strong delusion, you're not even going to need me to proclaim that date you should be able to figure it out yourself. You see the strong delusion, you count 1,335 days. You might be off a day, maybe two days at the most, but you're going to be really, really close. And we will. Pastor Kim in Korea, my partner in the work of God, your brother, and I, and you, will proclaim that date of Jesus' return. Now, if it is Day of Atonement, September 15, 2021, then you count backwards 1,335 days, you come to the strong delusion might occur January 19th, six months from now. January 19th, 2018. 
But if Jesus waits another year and comes back 2022 or 2023 or 2024, then a strong delusion would also have to move a year for each one of those years. So we have to wait until we see the strong delusion. And once we see the strong delusion, then we're going to know the year and the month and the week and maybe even the day of his return. We will know it. Now, if Jesus returns on trumpets instead of atonement, then that would move all these dates by nine days earlier if he comes back on trumpets instead of atonement. Or if he comes on tabernacles five days after atonement. But when we see the strong delusion, we are no. When we see the strong delusion, we can count 1,335 days, mark it on the calendar, and we will know exactly which holy day that he's going to come, even if it's trumpets, even if it's atonement, even if it's not even on a holy day. When we see the strong delusion, we can mark 1,335 days, and whatever day that lands on, I don't care whether it's a holy day or not, that's going to be the day that he comes back and lets you off just by a day or two in your calculation. Now, let's just think this out for a second. What if the strong delusion really will be January 19th, six months from now, 2018? If he comes back, David Tolman, on the first year possible, 2021. We'll have to see, for this to come to pass, for this to be fulfilled in this correct if this is correct, by January 19th, we have to see events happen first. I'm not proclaiming January 19th. I am not proclaiming it, so don't lie. I am not proclaiming January 19th. I'm only sharing with you these possibilities. We're not going to know until we see the strong delusion. But if... January 19th is the strong delusion. We have to see precursor events happen first. We have to see America attack Assad. We have to see that there's a precursor event such as maybe uh, the Syrian army attacking the American army. And therefore Trump says, go after them, boys. We have to see war break out. We probably may even see major huge terror attacks in America before them before then. It's very, very likely. There's all kinds of major events across the world. We could see the Korean War before then. We don't know. It may wait till then, but it could happen before then. Just because there's a huge possibility of January 19th doesn't mean 
that we're going to have peace and safety for this entire six months. We could see major chaotic events before then. In fact, we need to see precursor events before this can be fulfilled to bring about the strong delusion. I saw it ain't going to wake up one morning and say, I think I'm going to ascend to heaven today and fight war in heaven today. But rather, he's going to wait until he's pushed in a corner. He's going to wait until Daniel 11 is fulfilled. Daniel 11. Might as well turn there if I'm going to talk about it. Daniel 11. So that you can understand it better if you read it with your own eyes. Daniel 11. Saul is going to wait for this is fulfilled. We can't see the strong delusion, regardless of the month, until this is fulfilled. Daniel 11, verse 40. Daniel eleven forty, At the end time, our day, our time, at the end time, the king of the south, which might be Egypt, might be Israel, might be Saudi Arabia, whoever it is, the king of the south is somebody south of Israel. That's Egypt and Saudi Arabia. At the end of the, uh, I don't think it's Egypt because it doesn't fit with verse 42. Uh, I think it's, uh, uh, let's see, king of the south. Well, we have to think that out a little bit. But I know who the king of the north is. So at the, at the end time, the king of the south will collide with him. Him is the son of perdition, the one they call Antichrist, because all you got to do is look back to verse 39. It's talking about the end time Antichrist. And so the king of the south will collide, have a war, have a battle with him, the Antichrist. And the king of the north which is NATO, Trump, America, the United States, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. That's what NATO stands for. NATO, N-A-T-O, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And it is led by North America. It is led by the United States. And so... Uh, the king of the north is the United States and NATO. It's also referring to Turkey, who is north of Israel and is a member of NATO. So this also refers to Turkey and America and NATO coming against Syria, coming against Assad. This is already being fulfilled, but not to the fullness yet. So this is a war, not a peace treaty. We've always been brainwashed to think that he had come to power in a peace treaty, but this says that he comes to power in the middle of this Middle Eastern war. He's surrounded from the north and from the south. He's got different people pushing at him. That's exactly what we see right now in Syria. Everybody coming against Assad. And it says King of the North was storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships. So you're going to need to see in the news the movement of ships, the movement of tanks, the movement of military equipment 
to surround Assad. You're going to have that Middle Eastern war, and he will enter the countries. That means Assad will enter Egypt. That means Assad will enter Israel. Assad will wage war. That is going to be World War Three. So this is what you're going to see before the strong delusion happens. And the strong delusion will occur in the midst of this war. Verse 41, he, Assad, will enter the beautiful land, talking about the holy land, Israel. He's going to enter Israel. When is he, when is he going to enter Israel? Revelation 11, verse 2 and 3, at the beginning of the 1260 days. And many nations will fall. Many nations will fall. Not just Israel. Many will fall. But these will escape out of his hand. Jordan, Edom, Moab, and the foremost sons of Ammon. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries. And the land of Egypt will not escape. He's going to invade not only Israel, but also Egypt. Because Egypt, even though they're Muslims, they are led by... uh, Pretty good people, to be honest with you. They're against the Muslim Brotherhood. They are against ISIS. They're partners in peace with Israel right now. And they're against Assad. And they are great allies with America. Now that the Muslim Brotherhood has been overthrown in Egypt, Obama brought the Muslim Brotherhood to power in Egypt, but thank God. Almighty, that the Muslim Brotherhood was overthrown in Egypt has been restored to a moderate, weak form of Islam who are partners with America and Israel. And so that's why Assad is going to invade them, is because they're American allies and they're allies with Israel. So this is how the storm of delusion is going to come to power. We have to see this. We have to see the movement of troops. We have to see war break out. And in the midst of that war, you're going to see him appear in the sky because he's pushing in the corner and he's going to manifest himself. And even the Muslims teach this. This is even what the Muslims teach, that the Mahdi will appear in the midst of a war. And uh, we're going to see all this come to pass. Again, I encourage you to check out the website. And again, I realize that people are going to not accept this. But I still have to proclaim it. Because Ezekiel 33 tells me, in Ezekiel 33, verse 6, that if the watchman see the sword coming, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword does come, and take any person from among them, he, the prophet, is taken away in his iniquity, but the, but the blood I will, or the person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. 
regardless of the persecution and the unbelief, it is my job, it is my duty, it is my responsibility that if I see the sword coming, that I must blow the trumpet. And if I do not blow the trumpet, and the sword does come, then your blood and the blood of the people are on my hands. So I would rather face the risk of being called a false prophet than to face having your blood, the blood of your family, the blood of your friends, the blood of millions of people on my hands because I did not warn the people and did not blow the trumpet. There's a risk I have to take. There's a risk of rather being willing to be called a false prophet rather than having your blood on my hands. Amen. I'm not proclaiming any date except for only possibilities. And then as we see events occur, we'll confirm or reject each one of these dates. And then we'll be able to uh, figure it out better and better and better as the day approaches We'll, have, we'll gain wisdom, we'll gain understanding, we'll see things being fulfilled, and once we see things fulfilled, then we can say, that's it. That's it. I recognize it from that verse, and we'll be able to understand it. But if I don't teach this at all, then the people will remain, remain in their Babylonian doctrines, their Babylonian deception, and their lies, and traps of the devil. And we won't understand. I, and I refuse that. I refuse to allow the people to stay in their ignorance of the scriptures. Many years ago, Jesus told me in front of many people, he told me, many people's lives depend on what you do. Many people's lives depend on what you do. I am not going to let him down. I'm not going to let down the Lord Jesus Christ. There are lives at stake, flesh and blood. Lives are at stake. People must be warned against Assad. People must be alerted and told, regardless of whether they will believe or reject. People must be told, and you are my mouthpiece. Sister Kiki, Brother Johnny, Jason, Sister Alexandra, Brother AJ, Sister Lisa, Sister Harris, all of you and more, you are the mouthpiece of God, an extension of this ministry. I encourage you, regardless of persecution, to tell the people about Assad that we're not going to see peace treaty or seven years or Jewish temple, but what we're going to see is many ships 
attack Assad. And he will appear in heaven as God, displaying himself as God in the temple of God. And the whole world will worship him. But the one person that you tell, out of the ten you tell, out of the hundred you tell, out of the thousand people you tell, one person just might look up at that image when it happens and say, they told me that this is not God, this is not Jesus, this is a demon, I am not going to worship him. Wait five seconds, wait 30 seconds, wait 10 minutes and see what happens. That's what you need to tell them. Wait a minute, think about it before you worship it. 2 Thessalonians 2 tells us as clear as day that this day of Jesus coming will not occur until the son of perdition first be seen in the temple of God. That happens day one. And then, I'm going to disappear 30 days after that. You won't be able to listen to me anymore. You won't be able to email me. You won't be able to text me. You won't be able to call me. I will be gone. I will disappear. And so will Pastor Kim in Korea. Because we must pass the baton of this ministry to the two witnesses. Even as John the Baptizer passed the baton to Jesus himself and prepared the way for Jesus, and then John the Baptizer had to die. Even so, the pastor A.J. and myself passed the baton to the two witnesses. We will remain. We will not die. We will remain until the coming of the Lord. But we will disappear from the public eye. It will then be your job wherever you are, whatever nation you live in, whatever state, town, it's going to be your job to proclaim the date of the Lord's return. It's as easy as ABC, one, two, three, a two-year-old to do this. But right now, you've got to warn them about Assad. I've seen a few movies, left-behind movies and Armageddon movies and stuff. I'm sure you've probably seen those movies too. And You remember in those movies, it's in the Great Tribulation. And there's a man who is the Antichrist. And there are people who are trying to alert other people. Don't worship him. Don't worship him. This is our job. This is our duty. This is your duty. This is your job, your responsibility. And if you don't do it, you're going to be held accountable to God himself. It is your job, your duty, your responsibility to tell your family, your mom, your dad, your brother, your children, your grandchildren, everybody you can, even if it means your job, that don't worship him. He is the Antichrist. There are lives at stake. We must be willing to sacrifice our jobs, our family, our money, our career, our houses, our lands. We must be willing to sacrifice in order 
that we might help one person not to worship that demon. You have been called for such a time as this. Don't let down the Lord Jesus Christ. Take the opposition as a soldier. Put on your breastplate of armor. Put on the whole armor of God from head to toe. Be clothed with white linen. But until the marriage supper, I advise you to put on breastplate over your white linen and fight the good battle of faith. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with me for two, three, four, five, six, seven hours, however many hours. Again, I guess it's just two hours this time. And uh, I'll try to send a text that message to you. And uh, I'm trying to find a way to do a video live broadcast once per month. Just once per month, uh, a live video broadcast. Uh, not a sermon, but what's going to be called the God Make God News. It's going to be a news report, a live video news report. Once per month. I'm going to try to figure out how to do that. I'm having some difficulty about figuring out how to do that. But uh, I'm going to try to get that going, maybe, hopefully. I would like your prayers for that. Uh, I can't really do a weekly thing because I've got so much on my plate. I've got so much to do. I'm so extremely busy. Uh, I cannot really do a weekly thing. But once a month, live video broadcasts, I think, would be helpful to the people. I think if we only got six months or a year and six months, whatever we got, I think we've got to step it up do more, get out there more, get the message out there more, do whatever we can to get the warnings and the messages out there. We've got to try something else. We've got to get the message out there more and more and more. I would appreciate your prayers for for the technology of understanding how I can do this with my limited ability. Thank you for listening. All of this in Jesus' name. Until next time, may Jesus bless you in amazing ways. Amen.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.